For example, in America, we, we do it doggy style. Okay. Okay. But now in, in Italy, you do it um, al pecorino, you say, which is uh, sheep style. Okay. Okay. So uh, one of my, the final films my father directed um, had the uh, Italian porn star Mona Pozzi in it, who was, you know, the biggest or second biggest porn star at the time next to uh, Cicciolina. You know, it was my job that when my father on the set, you know, in the middle of a sex scene is, you know, calling out to uh, Mona Pozzi to transition into doggy style, I'd have to go over and whisper in her ear, al pecorino, al pecorino. So she's <laughs> CC, okay. And then. But first, a word from our sponsors. Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Shout out to the Silky Sluts, the Lacey Lovers, and the Polyester Puppy Players. This is Billy Presida, and you're listening to the Man Whore Podcast. What the fuck is happening outside? New Yorkers are finding out for the first time what the air quality index was. I remember I had to go to a birthday gangbang in Sacramento because that's how half of my sentences start when I tell a story. And uh, and <laughs> and I get out there and like the air's all fucked up and it smells like there's a fire everywhere because there is. And I'm texting my friend about it and she's telling me about the AQI and I'm like, I don't even know what that is. And I open my weather map and at the top of the weather map, like it's all of a sudden this section of the weather app that I normally don't see. Because in New York City, normally the air quality index, that number is like at the bottom of all the numbers. Because it's like fine, it's or good. And so I don't really need to see it. But but like in Sacramento, it was at the very top and it was just like, yo, red alert, don't breathe. And so now today, like I, I go outside and the AQI is at the top of the fucking thing. And I got out of the subway in Times Square and I was just like, what's on fire? It smells like 9-11 out here. This is insane. I feel like this is just like karma for all the times I've shat on Los Angeles. This is, this is just payback. Be like, ha, 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 ha. You wanted to make fun of... I, I'm not going to say anything else about your water shortage. I'm not saying nothing. LA, you have a lot of very pretty people who live there, and that's where it's going to end. That's all I'm going to say. But to the rest of you who can breathe comfortably outside, I'm wearing a mask outside again, not even for COVID. This is crazy. But uh, welcome to the pod. This week on the show, I've gone Gerard Damiano Jr. He's the son of the director of the classic, maybe one of the most famous pornos of all time, Deep Throat. Thank you, everybody uh, who who uh, wished me a happy birthday, both publicly and privately thank you uh to y'all who have uh shared links to the man whore podcast on your social media stickers coming soon that offer is good uh all month long for my birthday month just make sure you send me a screenshot but i'm getting i'm getting tired in this old age thing i'm i mean i'm, I'm only 34 years old but i'm getting like sleepy at nighttime when there's a hacienda party i need to either do like a yin yoga around eight o'clock or i have to take like a nap nap around five six or seven o'clock otherwise i'm gonna i'm gonna hit 12 30 a.m and be tired 6 30 a.m this is fucking bullshit i did not sign up to keep living to wake up that early 
I am sincerely scared about Fantasy Fest uh, towards the end of the month. I do not want to like get sleepy in the middle of my reverse gangbang, which is scheduled to start at 12.45 a.m. I know I'm capable of still having a good time that late at night, but just like I'm nervous. I might have to take my Adderall much later that day. Speaking of Fantasy Fest, a couple weeks ago, I, I spoke about in the monologue, um, you know, the this whole concept of applying for a reverse gangbang and, um, and, and trying to be more selfish, being able to, trying to get comfortable with receiving pleasure again and receiving pleasure where I don't also have to, like, prove my worth sexually in the process all the time, uh, nonstop. And, uh, but after that came in, I did get this email from one fan. Uh, He calls himself number one sub. We're just going to say he wrote, hello, Bobby, which is not my name. (laughs) Yesterday, I listened to your latest podcast and there was a possibility of maybe a reverse gangbang to a male that won a survey or something. (laughs) Filled out an application, but sure. Well, I I may have an idea that you may want to think about. And then he just goes on to give me what is clearly his fantasy. Like, this is not necessarily my cup of tea, but just he's, he's like, found an excuse to just tell me what gets him off. And why not share that with all of you? He wrote, first, there will be one female dom and four female submissives. And he put a, a hyphen in between sub and missus, which is not stylistically correct, but I'm into it. Um, of course... You will be involved. Oh, great. Thank you. A St. Andrew's cross will be set up at a 45-degree angle to the floor. Bring your protractors. A spotlight will be trained on the cross with the rest of the room dark. The female dom, dressed in a sexy military garb with a riding crop, will walk out alone and slowly inspect the cross. She then will place herself behind the cross. Just outside of the spotlight, she will call for her guards to bring out the prisoner. Four sexy sub-hyphen missives in box formation, and you in the middle will walk out to the cross slowly and stop just before. At this time, the dom will walk around the cross and inspect the prisoner, then turn around and address the audience. The prisoner failed to make his master come in a timely manner and must be punished. Can't relate. His punishment will be very, very difficult to live through. If he does live through it, he will be set free. She turns around addressing her submissives and orders them to bind you to the cross. The submissives then stand behind their dom in a half circle while she inspects their work. She slowly walks behind you to cover your eyes with a blindfold. She walks back around to the front of the cross with a loud voice and orders that the torture devices be brought into the room. Her guards bring a table over from across the room and place it aside the cross. On this table, there are many different devices. Handcuffs, feathers, paddles, ice-dripping candles, and many other things that she may need to torture you with. In a loud with which to torture you, number one sub. That's a bad, bad sub. We do good grammar in this fucking house. It's okay, buddy. It's okay. Okay. Shh. It's fine. It's fine. I would be a terrible dominant. Do you see how quickly I caved? I can't be mean. I can't insult your your intelligence. It just makes me feel bad. And when I feel bad, I don't feel like I want to fuck anyways. In a loud voice, the dom commands 
the cross be set horizontally and two feet off the floor. Bring your rulers. Uh, the spotlight widens so everyone can see what's happening. First, the four submissives start working on you per the Dom's request. Feathers. Ice. Candles. He gives no explanation to how they will be used in his fantasy, but I guess we're all going to use our imaginations. After about an hour or so, the Dom will call the subs to take their positions, one on each hand and foot. The submissives at the hands will produce a vibrator that the prisoner must hold. The vibrators are turned on, and the two submissives at that position will mount the vibrators and pleasure themselves. Okay, well, one, the St. Andrew's Cross usually typically has your hands tied up there, but I see what you meant here, and I actually think this is hot. To be bound in a way where, like, yes, I'm going to be used to give pleasure, but in a different way where I'm just bound and holding vibrators that then you just grind your pussies up against like up against my hand into that part of your fantasy buddy i will probably steal that at some point but for now you gotta remember you gotta set the visual bind the hands where help us see your vision this is a live workshop everybody the subs at the feet position will start sucking his toes and tickling his feet and after about five minutes of all this vibration and foot sucking the dom or is the subs back behind her the leading lady slowly walks around the cross and straddles your head forcing you to eat her pussy oh no oh gosh no don't make me do that <laughs> she screams eat my pussy as if your life depends on it she proclaims that if she comes you will be set free you eat her pussy with all your might. She squirms and screams with delight as she comes all over your face. She's weak at the knees and commands her subs to help her back around to the front of the cross. The positioning language is throwing me all off, man. Okay. She commands the cross be reset back to the original 45 degree angle. After a minute or two, she walks up and removes your blindfold and you are met with a smile. She turns to address the audience. The slave has done well. And has made his master happy. His reward will be one of great honor. He will be now my first submissive. She orders the four, I suppose, lesser subs to undo your binds and get you off the cross. Applause and cheers are heard from the audience. You are led away and are given a cape. On the back of this cape, it has this number one sub. Yes, man, I got the gist of what you were going for. That's not what I put in my fantasy fest application, but hey, I hope you get the opportunity to to experience that sometimes. Sounds like sounds like you've put a lot of thought into it. Um, and like I don't know, Loki, any Hacienda members uh, listening, but you you can apply to be in my gangbang if you buy a ticket to Fantasy Fest. So like, no big deal. But that's a thing. My life is weird. If you uh, want to send me your comments about this week's episode, if you want to send uh, questions seeking advice, if you want to share with me what your Fantasy Fest gangbang application would have been, you can always send any and all of that over to manhorpod at gmail.com. Manhorcon, it's coming up, everybody, August 3rd through August 6th. You can get your weekend pass in the link in the show notes. Very excited. People are coming out. We got people flying from very far away places. The Manhorcon HQ residents 
Uh, I think there's one, maybe two, but I think just one bedroom left uh, to be reserved. You can email me if you want details on that. Uh, it's going to be a party. We're going to have a fucking good ass time. Another good ass time, by the way, next weekend, June 16th. Yes, the Naked Comedy Show at Hacienda. We've already sold like nearly half the tickets and it's still like 10 days away. So you're going to want to get yours soon. Ticket links in the bio. For the first time ever, by the way, we are uh, offering discounted two-show tickets. So if you want to like, come hang out, take your pants off uh, for several hours and, and chill out and enjoy two distinct lineups, that is now an option. Uh, and you also see my other stand-up comedy dates down there as well. And one last date you might want to take note of in the notes of the show, commonly known as show notes, is the, hey, can you put a little extra hot to spicy beat the ball on the hot movie night? That was terrible. But it is, it's, kind, it's, it's after 11 p.m. and I'm so nervous to be too loud for my downstairs neighbors. They are sweet, sweet boys. But yes, the next ooh, child, hot movie night. June 14th, 9 p.m., 9.15 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time. We're going to open it up in the Champagne Room, and uh, we will start the show at 9.30 p.m. That is going to be available to all of my Patreon members. So, yeah, if you want to come watch some porn with your fellow fan whores, with yours truly, you need to be a member of the fan whore community. You got to be like Josh Nabashian. Yes, 77777, buddy. He knows what that means. I don't even really know what it means to him, but he know, like I know that he knows what it means. So that's my little shout out to Josh for this week's fan whore appreciation moment. Sevens all day. Sevens all day. I hope I'll see you uh, at Hot Movie Night next week. Uh, love, love catching you in the champagne room. And you too can become a member and support the show for as little as $2 a month. Going against the advice of my business manager, I have turned on the seven-day free trials in celebration of my birthday month. And for my birthday, I'm giving you stickers. For my birthday, I'm giving you free trials to my Patreon. Next thing you know, for my birthday, I'm going to give you head. Who knows? But you can test the behind the scenes bonus content and extra access for seven days, no cost to you at patreon.com slash man podcast. Or you can download the Patreon app and find me on there. Gerard Damiano Jr. He has been uh, internationally touring a remastered copy of his father's hit porno deep throat the 1972 classic uh, it's been now 51 years since it's been out and he's currently tr uh, trying to get y'all to vote uh to get the <laughs> this is a real the library of congress to adopt deep throat into the archives into the national archives so you can do that by going to vote throat org. He'll tell you more about it later in the episode, uh, but I had a really great time chatting, uh, and we're going to hear it right now, with Gerardo Damiano Jr.
this tour with Deep Throat because, you know, it's a major part of uh, my father's story, certainly his most famous film, you know, one of, if not the most famous golden age porn film of all time. So, um, you know, my, my sister and I were able to uh, restore the film, preserve it for future generations, and then um, uh, premiere it on its 50th anniversary, mm. which uh, was last June. Um, so we kind of kicked off a world tour celebrating, you know, the the 50th. We did uh, five cities in, uh, in Italy. We were in Berlin, uh, three cities in Belgium, which was very interesting. Amsterdam, uh, we showed the film in Vancouver, British Columbia, mm. um, also in Seattle, Washington. And we're now planning a West Coast tour to kind of wrap this up. Does Deep Throw have like a strong international... Like notoriety? Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Very big in Italy. The Italians just love it. That's why we went back twice. We did, you know, five shows, six if you include the uh, Portanone Docs Fest that we did a couple of weeks ago where we actually just Skyped in to present it. Otherwise, we've only presented the film live and have organized talkbacks after where we invite um, the film critics and um, historians, academics, um, sex workers, sex worker rights advocates, also uh, lawyers and some golden age porn stars as well. Um, because there's so many stories um, that revolve around this film is that, um, you know, younger generations have no idea. And it's it's good to have a historian to kind of contextualize it. Because when you look at Deep Throat today, it's actually pretty tame by today's standards, by what you might see, you know, on your smartphone in a few clicks. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, it was revolutionary. And so, you know, we feel that when we present the film, it's important to, uh, you know, to explain that. Also, there's, you know, always been controversy surrounding the film. So we like to um, address that, but also give the uh, audience opportunity to ask questions and talk more about, you know, the, the film. Yeah. That's a good time right now to say I'm here with, uh, tell me if I say this wrong, Gerard Damiano Jr. That's correct. Okay. I forget how many people, Damiano? <laughs> Is it Damiano? Damiano, yes. Oh. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I lived in Italy for some years and learned to say Gerardo Rocco Damiano. But your, your father uh, was, was the director of Deep Throat, as well as many other uh, amazing uh, golden era, golden age adult films. Um, yes, that, that he was. He wrote, directed, edited uh, Deep Throat. He, I like how you say wrote, and, and a lot of people are like, porn, writing, what? Yeah, yeah. there used to be plot. Yeah. There used to be uh, like a whole through line and everything. Yeah, there is actual dialogue in, in Deep Throat for those who haven't seen it. And um, he even wrote the lyrics to you know some of the original songs that are uh, in the film. Including the opening song? Um, well, the opening theme song is instrumental, but the okay. Deep Throat theme... Oh, sorry, yeah, like the, the theme song, the yes. one I remember. So we watched this, as I told you, for our hot movie night <sighs> in the champagne room, and that was the first thing when we heard the song, we were like, whoa, this porno has a theme song. <laughs> the soundtrack on this whole flick, we were blown away. <laughs> yeah, so my father is credited with uh, writing the lyrics to the theme to Deep Throat <laughs> as well. Um, but he went on to, you know, he certainly ap- appreciated the uh, the the celebrity that the film afforded him, but he went on to make much better films. He'd be the first to tell you Deep Throat is not a very good film. It was uh, an early work, and they did the <clears throat> the best that they could with what they had to work with. You know, even though the budget 
you know, was large for the time, still the whole thing was shot for less than $25,000. So, you know, even back in the 70s, that wasn't a lot of money to make a 35 millimeter feature length film. Um, but he went on to make uh, better films such as The Devil and Miss Jones. So good. Um, We've also watched that for Hot Movie Night. My father was much more proud of uh, Devil and Miss Jones than he was of Deep Throat, but he felt that. Um, that kind of film that he wanted to make that was a lot more serious and, and heavy even. Yeah. I mean, Devil and Miss Jones is... It starts with like screaming, right? Well, it starts with the suicide. You know, it's a very uh, direct, you know, the actress is looking into the the lens of the camera and she's distraught. Yeah. And, and uh, so I don't want to give any, any way for those who haven't seen it and might have a chance to. This was a more serious film, the kind of film that my father wanted to make. Um, but, you know, at the time the Deep Throat came out, Audiences weren't ready for that. The mm. idea of seeing um, hardcore sex on the big screen in a theatrical setting was something that was still relatively new. There had been exploitation and sexploitation films um, for years, but this um, happened at a time when the laws were starting to change and people were, were just seeing what you could get away with. Mm. Films were still being busted. You know, my father and, and many other people involved in Deep Throat were arrested for obscen on obscenity charges and, and had to appear in court across America. Um, so the idea of, of seeing you know a film like this was still very new so the fact that deep throat is a comedy and very light and lighthearted made it more accessible for people that um you know never never had seen a film like this before did he want to make more serious adult films or did he want to make films that had hardcore sex in it well it's it's funny that you should say that because that's something that he would often say he says, you know, I don't make sex films. I make films with sex in them. And okay. he always felt that um, the sex in his films should be integral to the plot and part of the character development. Like musicals. Yeah. <laughs> it's, well, it's the singing. It's the fucking as to further the plot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And if you if you um, look at uh, Deep Throat, for example, you know, the plot of Deep Throat, for those who haven't seen it, is, you know, it's pretty ridiculous. But the idea is this, you know, woman can't get off. Um, and she discovers that her clitoris is in the bottom of her throat. Oh, no. <laughs> so, so the only way that she can... Um, untangle her tingler as it says on the movie poster is by you know the deep throat technique now again as as ridiculous as as that might sound first of all it, it uh, drew attention to the female orgasm which was uh, something very um unusual in 1972 you know a lot of men you know didn't know that women even had orgasms. They certainly never gave one one, and they they didn't know where the clitoris was anyway. So it might as well have been in the throat. So right. for some, it was uh, you know rather educational. But blowjobs were also like even a taboo sex act to do. It was like you know, or or, or were we past it at that point? I no, feel like well, it was like a French thing for a while. Yes. Well. Well. Yes. It wasn't. Um, it was. Not as common, let's say, as it uh, as it might be now. And um, the idea of uh, coming up with the term deep throat to give, um, you know, this technique, not just oral sex, but, you know, taking the penis all the way down, yeah. you know, to the bottom of your throat. Um, by giving it a name, it gave, you know, people, couples license to talk about it. It was really the first, you know, mainstream porno film that had 
couples going on dates to see it and women especially going, you know, braving 42nd Street in New York City to see an adult film. And so, you know, again, part of the, um, I think the, uh, the allure of the film was, um, this, this playful, you know, idea of, uh, of, uh, oral sex mm. that, you know, people could talk about it. You know, everybody was talking about it. Honey, you want to do a deep throat? You want to do one? When we get home, let's do a deep throat. And and like that, you know, and I, I can only imagine, I was just a kid at the time. I mean, my sister and I were on the set of Deep Throat. Um, it's important at this time our lawyers make us say we were not exposed to any <laughs> hardcore sex as children. Um, but our father was very proud of being a filmmaker. So, you know, he often included us. We would go on, you know, location scouting or if there was a location shoot or any, you know, any scenes without sex in them, dialogue and so forth, which back then a lot of the scenes were not hardcore, not like yeah. films that were made later where it's just wall-to-wall sex. There was a lot of setup, which uh, is what, you know, led me to, to bring up Deep Throat again is the fact that even in the film Deep Throat, the, the sex drives the plot forward. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not um, gratuitous sex scenes like you might see in a horror film or slasher movie or something where, you know, in the first scene, the woman's got to take her top off for some reason, even though it has nothing to do with what's to come, except yeah. maybe, you know, the... the, the, the the trope that you know the the promiscuous woman is the first to get killed by the you know the, yeah. the maniac or monster or whatever, um, but in Deep Throat, um, the sex all plays an important role, and in Devil and Miss Jones and and all my father's films as well is that um, although there is a lot of sex in these films, it's never gratuitous. It's always to not only drive the plot but develop the characters. You know, Linda or. Miss Jones, you know, even more so, you know, her first sex scene in the film is very different than her last. Mm. And, you know, there is a character development and a the character arc that is shown through the sex scenes. Yeah. It's, uh, and, and so like, and when you're talking about like being young, were, were we talking grade school age, teenage years? Um, I was seven years old. My seven sister was six. Six. And, and now you're tour, you know, you're touring the film around with like, I guess you say like Q and A's and, and such, mm-hmm. but like, is it? You know, is it at all odd to like go sit in a theater and watch a porno with your sister in a way? Like, <laughs> well, it's, it's or at least like maybe in the early days of doing that. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because what's weird and what was weird to us is that it's not weird. <laughs> you know, we were at Porn Film Festival Berlin, you know, where we presented the film and we're there and we're watching these films. And afterwards, we looked at each other and we're like, we wonder if anybody thinks it's strange. Like, it never even occurred to me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a sex film, sure, but you know, I felt like we're you know growing up enough to to be able to watch a film and talk about it, and you know, we like it, we didn't. It was a turn on, it wasn't, but you know, it's it it really shouldn't matter. I mean, my sister and I are very close; we can talk about anything, so why not talk about the films? And were you always uh, like close, even like as kids? Like were you like in high school? Were you all able to talk about? dating with each other and stuff um well we we're very close in age you know i'm i'm yeah. a year apart you know we're a year apart and so we grew up together and you know again having our our father you know by the time we we got to high school our father was very well known you know celebrity pornographer so you know it certainly was different than most other you know other brothers and sisters that we knew in their upbringing you know we kind of um had to stick together 
you know, because uh, there's a lot of judgment, as you can imagine, you know, back then and even still, people have all kinds of ideas of what that might mean, good, mm. bad, or ugly. You know, if your father makes a sex film, what does that even mean? You know, how does that affect you as a child? And they would be surprised to know that we actually had very healthy, you know, upbringing and our father and, and mother, too, that tried to raise us um, to be, you know, comfortable um, with our bodies, that there was nothing wrong with the nudity when we were very young, you know, when Deep Throat was made, we didn't even know what sex was. So it wasn't even a, you know, a topic, but later that sex is a beautiful, natural thing and not something to be ashamed of or guilty about. And, you know, our father grew up with a, you know, more of a strict Catholic upbringing. And so this was, you know, kind of revolutionary to him to have, you know, a, um, a guilt-free, you know, view on sex and sexuality. And he shared that with us. So, you know, in the end, I thought it was very, you know, it's, it's a very um, healthy environment to be able to talk about sex. You know, it's when you can't talk about it, that that's when problems start. So like in high school and college and being in adulthood, like you and your sister are out like in dating and meeting people and eventually like, getting mad, like y'all were able to talk about stories you had and dates you had and the good, the funny, the not so great. Yeah, absolutely. Now, for example, my sister talked to me um, when we got when when she went off to college, and I went and visited her at spring break. Yeah, it was my spring break, and she was in college down in Fort Lauderdale. So, what a perfect place to to go for um, for spring break. And you know, she confessed to me one night. She said, "You know, all your friends were really cute, and a couple of them I really liked." But none of them would ever go near me because they were afraid of what you might do because I was very protective over her as I thought I should be. Now, most guys know that guys, especially high school age guys, are, are dogs and, you know, you want to protect your sister, of course. And then, you know, it wasn't a secret what our father did. And, you know, some people might have looked at her, in a, you know, in a different way, thinking, oh, this is the daughter of a pornographer, so she must put out or whatever. And yeah. so, you know, again, I just tried to keep them all away from my sister. I mean, it was just <laughs> a natural thing. But, you know, later she said, you know, again, when she was in college, she said, but, you know, I really, I really liked, you know, this one and I, I, I wanted to be with them, but I couldn't because you would always, you know, chase him away. And after that, I said, you know, you're a woman now, you make your own choices. It's not, it's not for me to interfere, you know, but God forbid any of them raise a hand to you or you get in trouble, you can always, you know, call me, come to me and like that. You realize like, oh, I need to, I should fuck them up after the fact <laughs> if they were misbehaving, not just before on the off chance that they do. But especially I have that kind of relationship. I'm in my early thirties. My sister's uh, who like one's like a year and a half younger than me and the other one's like five years younger. And like, they're only now comfortable talking to me about sex. Ah. But those two being like maybe three years apart or so, right? Like they were able to talk about sex and dating with each other, but their brother, you know, it took us to like way proper adulthood to, for them to feel comfortable open up to me, even though I've been, you know, talking about sex for a living for like nine years. Well, also not knowing them. I mean, obviously women, it's easier for them to talk for sure. you know, amongst themselves rather than talk about sex with but a man. It's, but it's something special that like you and your sister could like have that open kind of relationship where sex wasn't taboo. We weren't raised with like sex was taboo, but we just didn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. Or like if I was interested in a one of my sister's friends, like it was a weird thing, but I wasn't going to care if she was... If a sister of mine was into one of my friends, I would just warn her if someone was a D-bag. Well, I was interested in all of my sister's friends. So <laughs> that's why when she said that to me, it really resonated. I was like, whoa, okay. You said you were raised uh, with like healthy views on bodies and sexuality. 
what do those conversations sound like? I think a lot of times people just say we were raised well, you know, with that. But then, like, what's what's kind of language is getting used, and what kind of ages are are different things being shared at? Okay, um, for example, when we were kids, we had uh, my father had a script uh, subscription to Playboy magazine, so it was delivered for to the, the house yes. every month. Well, <laughs> for the article, sure. Now we were too young to even read, but we were allowed to look at Playboy and not told that it was bad or dirty or wrong. And so, you know, I'm um, I'm an artist and an illustrator, and even as a young kid. Playboy magazine, you know, back in the 60s and in the 70s had great illustrations. So there were great pictures and also, you know, naked ladies that were, it's not a big deal. If you can look at them, what's the big deal? I mean, everybody has a naked body underneath their clothes. So mm-hmm. it's only when somebody says, don't look at that, you know, you shouldn't see that, you shouldn't look at that, that you start to, you know, develop this this guilt and fear and why, what, you know, what's going to happen? Otherwise, you, course, wouldn't know, you wouldn't know that this was uh, taboo. Exactly. And, and so, of course, when somebody says you can't do something, it makes you want to do it even more so. So for us... You know, having Playboy magazine around the house and we were, you know, wouldn't say encouraged, but just allowed to look at it and and like that, look at all the pictures, look at all the, the beautiful women. We were, you know, again, taught that the body is a beautiful thing and never anything to be ashamed of. You know, when I was five or six years old, if, you know, if you would ask me who I was going to marry, who I wanted to marry when I grew up, I would say, Miss October. (laughs) So, you know, it was that kind of household. It's not that our our parents brought up, you know, sexual topics or whatever. They just, you know, again, didn't, um, didn't make a big deal about it. You know, like the idea of a, of a woman breastfeeding, for example. Now, when you travel around the world, you know, nothing is more natural than that. Like what could be more natural than a mother and child? Um, but in America, it's become so taboo that you got to go in a special room or, you know, there's a woman on the subway has to be covered up with a you know, blanket or something, yeah. you know, where, again, it's the fact that she's got to cover up that makes people want to look where if it was, you know, just a natural part of everyday life, it would make no difference. And so did you learn about sex, like in the mechanics of sex and pleasure at like later in life, like maybe in high school, do you learn that from your parents or do you learn that from pornography or where do you learn um, about sex from? Well, you know, I, I have to say that there was a book, a very well written, very, very, very well illustrated book, um, a series, two big books. One was called Where Did I Come From? Okay. And these are thin books with great illustrations. And our parents kind of gave us the talk, the birds and the bees talk, that I don't know if parents do that anymore. I think kids just Google sex and and then they go from that. Or, you know, where did I come from, you know, and, and see what Wikipedia has to say. Parents about crack it. open the door, throw a box of condoms <laughs> in there and just shut it real closely. <laughs> yeah, you, you know all about this already, right, kid? We don't have to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's usually like that. But, you know, our parents kind of gave us this one book that just basically talked about about the reality i don't want to say the mechanics because it makes it sound so cold but just the you know the the reality of procreation you know how it works and so we read these books and then we talked about it after the second book was called uh, what's happening to me and this is a book about about adolescence and puberty which you know basically and you know again a very kind of um I don't want to say, you know, medical, but it had all the right information and it was presented in, um, you know, uh, a humorous and kind of 
you know, easy to swallow, pun intended. <laughs> As I spill water all over myself. Uh-huh. Not easy. Oh, my God. I did so much. Oh, my God. It looks like I just did a deep throw. Um, this is bad. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> there was more water in there than I expected when I brought to my face. I was like, oh, there's just like a little left. And then pow. Okay. <laughs> I did not realize how much there was. So you're saying <laughs> reading those books that our parents, you know, gave us to read and said, I want you to, to read these gave us a foundation to have a conversation. And then afterwards, we talked about it. And, you know, again, looking back, I think that was a very healthy, you know, way to, to do it. Because, you know, we were at the age where we were figuring things out. But, you know, kids at that age, you know, they don't want to admit that they don't know. And, you know, they lie to each other and, and like that. And, and you know, we didn't have the internet back then. And now with the internet, I think, you know, in terms of sex and sexuality, the internet is a poor teacher because most people wind up on Pornhub or whatever, you know, kids are going to wind up and they start to confuse what they see on the screen with what, you know, what people actually do or like. I mean, not to say that there's not some, you know, good stuff out there, but there's a lot of stuff that's not good. There's a lot of, um, let's say, unrealistic depictions of sex and sexuality. There's a lot of misogyny on these porn sites where, you know, women are abused and, and that, you know, or that are kind appearing of, to be abused. Yeah. Like you have or, no one to contextualize that. You know, there are no disclaimers in some of these, these films where, again, you know, whether the women are, are just acting like they're, you know, uh, upset and abused and, you know, being beaten up or whatever, choked and, you know, to the extreme or even, you know, the, the prevalence of, let's say, you know, facial cum shots, let's say, if you want to get specific, which is something which that if all you did was look at, um, you know, Pornhub or PornTube or RedTube or whatever tube or, you know, um, like that, you would think that every woman wants you to come in her face at the end when really in reality, that's usually not the case, but it's very um, visual makes for great film and filmmaking, okay? Yeah. Or not to say that a lot of the stuff you see is great filmmaking, but I'm just saying that, you know, it's it's a The purpose function. wasn't pleasure. The purpose was because we're filming this and we want you to see the... Yeah, you got to see it, that money shot, right? So you want to see it where when you're having an intimate moment with a real person, usually it can be much more pleasurable when you don't see it. Yeah. And that's not... Um, the disclaimer that's on the thing that a kid might be seeing, and that might be their first, um, you know, look at at sexually explicit material. You know, they don't have um, guidelines, you know, and they come out of it with all kinds of ideas. So what or who gave you context for what pleasurable, respectful sex is like? Um, well, a- again, you know, growing up in a, you know, in a household where we were able to talk about sex and sexuality. So like you come home and ask dad or ask mom and be like, hey, I was yeah. with this girl, like something was weird, it was wet. Well, I, I mean, do? generally you don't ask your mom, okay? Well, I, I don't know. Now, you know, you know my, my dad and I were always very close and my mom and I were close, but, you know, again, I wouldn't talk to her about, you know, what I did on a date. I'm just saying my mom has said blowjob to me before my dad has said the word blowjob to me. <laughs> uh, may I ask you what the context of that was? Uh, it was Man Whore Con 2019 and my mom, we had an Ask Billy's Mom Q&A in the afternoon <laughs> and she, mom told a story of the day my dad found out she was pregnant with me and I've never heard this story and and my dad <laughs> i think will still barely say sex words in front of me uh, got it so. well you know again as a kid 
I wouldn't bring, you know, my issues with girls at school or whatever to my dad as much as, you know, talk about his films when I was old enough okay. to talk about them. I mean, he always, um, you know, encouraged me to to be involved in filmmaking and I worked alongside of him even before I was old enough to actually see the films. You know, I made props and painted sets and and did stuff like that. As soon as I was old enough to be on the set, I was a PA and assistant to the director and like that and would do stuff. The end of his career, um, he made a number of films for Italian producers. Yeah. And, um, you know, I had, I had lived in Italy for a time and learned to speak Italian. So I came on not just as an, um, you know, assistant to the director, but also as a translator. Mm. which, you know, is a very, you know, kind of rarefied skill set to be able to translate, you know, sex terms into Italian, you know, and, and, and from Italian to English. For example, in America, we, we do it doggy style. Okay. Okay. But now in, in Italy, you do it um, al pecorino, you say, which is uh, sheep style. Okay. Okay. So, uh, you know, one of my, the final films my father directed um, had the uh, Italian porn star Mona Pozzi in it, who was, you know, the biggest or second biggest porn star at the time next to uh, Cicciolina, who you might have heard of. And they were both very active at that time. So, you know, it was my job that when my father on the set, you know, in the middle of a sex scene is, you know, calling out to, uh, to, uh, Monopozzi to transition into doggy style, I'd have to go over and whisper in her ear, al pecorino, al pecorino. So she's a CC, okay. And then. How do you say, like, to, like, what is to fuck in Italian? I'm, I'm 333 days on Duolingo. So I'm just trying, they don't want, I'm not to that uh, yet. Uh, <laughs> um, well, there's different, there's different, um, terms and there's a lot of slang words you know italian give me a couple good slang yeah mother fanculo alimortacci dua okay that's more of a curse it's um go and do it in your ass and i curse the souls of your dead ancestors oh i meant like, like it's more like sexier like if i said uh, like if it's like you know if a chick was gonna say to fuck her uh, yeah she says fuck me to me what would she say uh well like in in italy they use the term scopare which scopare. is like to sweep Okay. You know, like, oh, it, you know, it's like like the same verb you use to sweep the floor. Like, you know, sweep me or I'm going to sweep her or like that. Okay. <laughs> okay, to sweep. But so so if you're not going to your dad for like advice, I'm like, oh, like, how do I, whatever. So what what did teach you sex, like ultimately? Um. Well, you know, a combination of things. I mean, it's hard to say. But, you know, I, I will say this, that... Working with my father and being with him, he was always very respectful to women. Mm. You know, his his early film, many of his films, but especially all his early work um, featured uh, female protagonists. They're mm. the stars of the show. Um, so he was always more interested in the female perspective. And that's something that he shared with me, that it's not, you know, it's not about you getting off. That's easy. It's about getting her off. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's a good lesson I think any any father should share with their son. My father often said that, you know, that the female fantasy is far more interesting than the male fantasy. Yeah. You know, that um I guess the uh the 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 Taoist way of looking at it is that um you know the the female the let's say male desire is like uh a fire that burns really brightly and quickly and then flares out um, where women's um, desire is more like a, 
uh, slow burn that uh, gradually heats up and warms and warms and lasts much, much longer and goes, you know, much more intensely. It's not the, the quick flash. It's a much more um, developed, you know, and profound thing. And so, that's why I like to edge for three to five hours by myself to train myself to be more like a campfire. It just, it lasts forever till sometimes it's like, look, we got to pour water on you because we have got shit to do today. Yes. So, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, did you ever go through like a rebellious phase maybe uh, in your younger years uh, towards what your dad did? Did you ever kind of get weird about sex almost like to push back against so much positivity? Um, no, <laughs> to be honest, yeah. you know, that, that never really occurred. Um, it occurred to us, occurred to me. Um, I was always proud of my father as a filmmaker. Um, as, uh, as I mentioned, as soon as I was old enough to be on the set with him and, you know, see how we worked, you know, again, it was like seeing movie magic, but also there's, you know, sex and sexuality just right up front, you know, being performed by professionals. Okay. Which, you know, then were um, you know, by the time I first started working with my father was in the early eighties. And by this time, you know, this is, is eight years after deep throat. Um, so now there's an adult film industry that never occurred before, you know, hadn't, you know, there wasn't such a thing. So now you had veteran actors and actresses that were, you know, kind of used to protocols and, you know, being in a sex film where initially these were people that were, you know, trained actors and actresses that were used to being in film, being in front of the camera or being on stage. Um, but now we're finding um, performing sex as an extension of their abilities as actor and actress. The devil, Miss Jones wasn't, isn't the star that wasn't she like a Broadway, like she was a, wasn't she a normal actress, like a uh, yeah. Broadway actress? Absolutely. Georgina Spelvin, who's fabulous. Uh, my sister and I recently saw her um, out in California. Mm. She just turned 87 years Ooh. old. Um, but yeah, she had um, a long career before um, appearing in Devil and Miss Jones. And she had done a handful of adult films before then as actress. Um, I think she was like 36 or so when she appeared in Devil and Miss Jones, which, you know, by today's standards would be, you know, beyond the shelf life of a young porn star getting into the business. But, you know, again, this was a woman who was a, a dancer who appeared on Broadway. She was the understudy to Shirley MacLaine in Pajama Game, mm -hmm. you know, like that, and had been on a number of uh, Broadway shows and productions and like that. So she was a, a talented and seasoned actress by the time she met with my father to be in the film. Yeah. Now, and, and as you said earlier, like uh, Deep Throat is like revolutionary at the time, even though by today's standards, pornographically, it might be like tame, right? Mm -hmm. But tell us why was it so revolutionary? What was it about um, blowjobs on like a cat, like deep throating that was so like taboo for then? Um, well, I think the term deep throat itself kind of captured the imagination, but it was by no means the only hardcore sex film out on uh, 42nd Street. Um, but again, this is happening after a period of um, exploitation films and sexploitation films where there was um, a lot of um, films being made that had very strong sexual themes um, and sexual content, mm. but you couldn't show hardcore sex you know you couldn't show penetration right. you know so there's a lot of nudity um and there was a lot of simulation but no money shot yeah um so when deep throat was made this was at a time when 
you know, as I said, laws were just changing and, you know, there was a real gray area as to what you could and couldn't show. So filmmakers were always testing the limits and the film would get busted and someone would make another and By come busted, at a different way. like cops would come in or like... Yeah, literally the- cops would come in with Deep Throat. You know, they busted it a couple of months after it premiered. Um, where a judge came and watched the movie, you know, and then afterwards, you know, signed a writ and the, the cops came in and, you know, arrested people and, and seized the print. Yeah. After the judge came, he was like, <laughs> you know, I need some water and then you can come bust this place. I'm done with it. <laughs> so, um, you know, Deep Throat was then busted again um, uh, a few weeks later because, you know, they realized that they didn't really follow the um, proper procedure and um you know protocol so the film was back on the screen the next day and then they came back with 50 uniformed police officers and made a big show of it for the tv cameras how they're cleaning up times square which was you know an old story you know every mayor up for uh re-election was cleaning up Times Square. And this went on for some time until it was um, actually Giuliani that that finally did clean up Times Square and turned it into the uh, Walt Disney World that we have today. Yeah, sadly. (laughs) What from the golden era could like present day porn use more of? Um, I would say respect. (laughs) You know, well, again, I would say respect to women in that Again, I just see too many of these, you know, clips. And now that's mostly what you see online. There's not a lot of films being made. I mean, there's, and and that's actually not true. Well, because a lot of times what's uploaded on Pornhub is uh, is clips because they want you to go buy the membership where you will see the full like sixty minute vid- movie. But there'll be like a th- three minute clip on Pornhub. Yes, but yeah. in the, the three minute clip, you you know, you can see that this is not the devil and Miss Jones. Yeah. Okay. You know, and there's a lot of, you know, again, look, I share my father's view in, um, you know, in philosophy about sex that can be summed up in two words. And that's consenting adults. As long as everybody's consenting and everyone's a grown up, you do whatever the fuck you want. Mm -hmm. And who's to tell you, you can't, who should be involved in saying what you can and cannot do as long as nobody gets hurt Mm -hmm. and everybody is there of their own, own free will. And, you know, so a lot of the clips that you see, you know, again, they're not, they're not respectful. In some cases you have to wonder, wow, is that girl really crying? Or is that her, you know, is that, is that part of her act? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, also, a lot of the themes, you know, there's there's a lot of, um, let's say, incest and stuff like that, which, you know, I, I think it's, it, it's odd to me is that when you see these clips that are presented as, you know, stepbrother or brother and mom or, you know, stepdad or all this, this stuff, you know, family relationships, okay, is something that can only be developed in a film through you know dialogue and acting yes that's <laughs> okay. why we have movies like <laughs> taboo with Kay parker right that, let's at least understand what's going on in this family before <laughs> we watch them fuck each other come on yes and so you know it's it's just funny to me that that's you know so common online is to see you know this hey sis get out of my room and you know 20 seconds later you know her top is off and, yeah you know like that and it just you know it doesn't, I mean, 
it's not what I'm into personally. Again, I'm saying this to sure. say that look, if that's what you're into, it's a watered down version. We're not we're not developing anything taboo. With ta- so taboo is more of a mother son thing, and, and taboo two is. I was a K Parker fan. Uh, R.I.P. to a queen. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and taboo two is like a brother sister storyline. But in both of them, the actual like incestual scene doesn't happen. Like that, those that's the final sex scene of each movie. Like K doesn't bang um, whatever the Paul until the end of the movie okay they build up to the things so we at least have reason for it we have character motivation we have plot development we we understand what their dynamic was before that's longer than the oh you're in my room get out <laughs> right it's like like what's going what's been this all about who are these characters and we take that out of the incest porn realm and go to anything else whether it's like someone's sexual come um awakening or a dysfunctional relationship you can't turn it around in 90 seconds of lame dialogue when i started watching porn it was like napster era i didn't have Pornhub, right it took took too long like you download an image and you wait like 90 minutes for one <laughs> fucking fo- line pixelated line by pixel line to hold one single photo downloaded and sometimes you realize like a third of the way through like i already have this one (laughs) um and so i would just kind of download certain terms in napster and like what i could click and get at 13 was what i got and it exposed me to a lot of that era and so i got an early appreciation for like an an adult film Mm -hmm. as opposed to just like these quick clips i was like okay they're hot and it's bright but like whatever i i want to know why what what what, what's the backstory behind this pizza guy Mm -hmm. okay like how does he really want this blowjob or is he thinking in the back of his head like i could actually use the tip like okay i'm short on rent i could use the 20 bucks whatever it is um and so i don't know i at least got an appreciation for it at a young age and today i mean you say some of the names of these people i fucking interviewed a sex coach a few hours ago i said deep throw and she was like what's that and i had to explain (laughs) deep throw and i was like what like, even before I saw Deep Throat for the first time last year, I knew what Deep Throat was. You know, it's a... Sure. Well, well, my father would say he was more proud of coming up with the term Deep Throat than he thought. was making the film because the term made it into the dictionary. Yeah. And then later with the Watergate break-in and the informant, you know, now there's two der- terms, you know, two definitions for Deep Throat. So whether or not you've seen the film, you should at least be familiar with uh, the technique, which is, you know, again, not something my father invented. You know, mm-hmm. he came up with a catchy name for it and, you know, made a film about it. But... Um, um, but it's been around forever. I sure. mean, you know, it's not, you know, there are very few, you know, things sexually that are new. Um, with, I would say, possibly with the, um, um, possibly except for the advent of um, some of the transgender combinations that are now mm. available or possible today that, you know, weren't possible in the past. Right, right. Well, the, I do have one last question. Uh, it comes from the Ask the Guest channel in my uh, Discord server. Uh, it's a patron-only channel, so uh, if you're a part of the Patreon community, you can ask any question for my upcoming guests, and I will ask it. So if this is a good question, wasn't mine. And if it's a bad question, dude, I didn't think of it. So um, <laughs> Chuck wants to know, and, and we've kind of, I'm going to kind of remix it a little bit based on what we've discussed, but like, he asks, how did you discover porn for yourself? Um, so I'm going to kind of, adjust with just more like how did you discover porn for yourself disconnected from being in and around the industry like what how did you discover the porn you were going to enjoy and how you engage with a pornographic material like 
without it being like, oh, this is my dad's film or like, oh, I've I the playboy on the thing. Like, how did you start to consume that personally in your adult life? Okay, well, you know, as I as I got a little older yeah. and was, of course, very curious about about sex and wanted to know more, you know, there was always a lot of, you know, books and, and materials, you know, not out in the open, but hidden around the house, you know. And so when my parents were out of the house, I'd always be looking for the book, the thing, the pictures. Oh, like, like everybody it. else. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> Except, um, you know, my father had a a uh, three quarter inch uh, video player, you know, back in the in the late seventies. So, you know, that's when commercial VHS tapes um, weren't readily available. They were just starting to come out. So, I was able to find tapes of stuff he was working on and like that. And you know, and again, there were these big clunky video masters. And so, I was would you know watch stuff like that. And um, you know, we had Playboys around the house, but we didn't have you know, penthouse and, you know, high society and so forth. And that's something that, of course, you know, all, all my friends were, you know, swapping. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, so you, you found, you found porn the same way a lot of people like of the most, day did. Most people. You didn't like go search out something like super different just because, you know, something like the devil and Miss Jones or deep throat or uh, other f- films of his maybe got, like normal i just would imagine like oh maybe like that's just so normal by the time you're like 24 that mm-hmm. it's like i gotta go find something very different from what i like this industry standard you know what, I mean? <laughs> what did it uh you know by 24 you become so jaded that you've you've or like maybe like even like uh you know like written erotica like i mean that's how I, that was also my introduction was like either the old films or written stuff because i went to boarding school you couldn't have porn uh-uh. and we didn't have like internet in the dorms so like i would print shit from home and i'd bring them and hide them under my mattress uh-huh. in my dorm room so there's no pictures so it was hard to get caught because uh-huh. it wasn't really porn but it was but so you'd have to read through the whole thing to uh to determine whether or not it was obscene you couldn't just turn to the centerfold right right and so just the idea of like i don't know like i could see you getting into like a different medium of porn oh, well- well, abs- or, or get jaded with it altogether. No, well, I mean, what you said is absolutely true, and you know, I'm I'm a bit older than you, so I come from a different, Just a uh, bit, you know. yeah, a different <laughs> generation, which is is hard for you know people today, you know, younger people to understand. Was without the internet, okay, without video and and like that, you know, you had Playboy magazine under your mattress, you know, or or you know, there were kids that had National Geographics just to see, you know, like like a naked indigenous person, you know, in the you know, in the book like that. I mean, people in the sixties were really hard up for, you know, sexually explicit content. And so again, for a kid in the fifties or sixties or even early seventies, you know, National Geographic could be, you know, uh, porn. Yeah. Um and then, you know, like a, some kid in, in class had, you know, dirty French uh, playing cards or whatever like that, right. you know. And, um, you know, that went a long way. Okay. You know, it got passed around the whole class. Everybody got a chance to look These at These 52 images, like you're like, that yeah. was enough for us because we don't know when we're going to get the next 52 from. 
Yes. I mean, it was, again, a different time where if you missed um, Wizard of Oz on TV, you might have to wait a whole year to see it again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, but just to say that this idea of like instant yeah. gratification, you know, we didn't know any better. So we were happy with what we had. And, you know, like, again, some French um, postcards or like I said, there was a deck of playing cards yeah. that was hardcore and explicit where you didn't see that stuff, you know, even in penthouse or, or high society. I mean, you could show you know the the wide open beaver split beaver right. like that but you still you couldn't see penetration so if you actually saw a picture of something it was a big deal you know and again it's hard for people to imagine today that with a couple of clicks you know have millions of images hundreds of millions of images videos clips and so forth sites you know where you can interact and and like that um so although you know i, I would say that um in some ways, the fact that, you know, books are being banned and and so forth and pornography in general, you know, is comes under fire. At the same time, there's, you know, um, there's much more access to a much broader range of um, of adult content mm -hmm. where, you know, back in the 70s when Deep Throat was made, there were maybe six seven different kinks mm -hmm. okay of which one you know considered um homosexuality as kink okay yeah. you know the deviation like a whole of, category yes that would be a category and then bdsnm is another foot fetish and maybe there was some golden showers quote unquote and that was about it you know the 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 bestiality thing on the fringes everybody knew about you know people are always curious oh my god you know interspecies yeah. whatever um but that was about it and now with the um, with the internet, I think they've identified like fourteen thousand different fetishes, kinks, or you know, kind of specific things that people are into. Yeah, you click BDSM, and then there's eighty categories underneath BDSM. Yeah, just sub subcategories. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's the categories of people that that don't have sex. It's like the ultimate kink of you know, like you you can't even have sex and and in a sexual way. You know, yeah. Okay. You know, I like I can't even be begin to. Um, to explain all the different, you know, things that I've, I've found or come across online. And I think there's a great um, equalizing effect that the internet has had in that respect is, um, you know, my sister and I were recently at uh, Porn Film Festival Berlin, where we got to see a lot of films. Now, back when Deep Throat was made, my father was one of a handful of filmmakers that were all pretty much white men, you know, making films for themselves and for other white men or right. other men in general. Um, but at, you know, the porn film festivals that I've seen recently, Cinekink and so forth, there is such a variety of so many different kinds of, of films made by a whole range of filmmakers that are gay, straight, um, in between male, female, trans, every different variation of that. And yeah. they're making films for themselves and everyone else. So there's a lot more variety than there was back then when Deep Throat came out. So, you know, today it's a drop in the bucket. You know, back then it was, you know, something brand new that was, um, you know, revolutionary to, to most people. Incredible. Well, you know, Gerard, you're still touring the film. Or are you going to be doing another run of, uh, 
of live events or well we're we're finishing up um the the world tour for the 50th anniversary of the release of deep throat um we have a few things in the works we're going to the west coast and we're going to be um doing some screenings there um we'd like to do one more show in new york which is our hometown we've we've done you know three screenings here that were all very different and all very interesting and you know we've had some great talkbacks and great discussions you know to uh, again, look, you know, look beyond just the film and, you know, what it meant back then and what it, it still means today. And so, you know, I invite um, people to visit uh, DamianoFilms.com or um, also I should mention um, we are still trying to get um, Deep Throat recognized by the uh, National Film Registry, oh. um, which is a function of the Library of Congress. And, you um, this is uh so do i gotta like write my senator is it um is well it's much easier than that <laughs> go to votethroat.org as an orgasm <laughs> and all the information is there um throat.com dot org dot org okay yes and um <laughs> you'll find some information there and also a link to go and cast your ballot now any u.s citizen can um vote for up to 50 films per year um and they will choose 25 films to be um, recognized as films for preservation. Um, and so even though they, um, their mission statement is to include the full range of American filmmaking, you know, there has never been an adult film. Now, there have been some X-rated films that have been included, including um, Midnight Cowboy, which is a great film. I think even, you know, the original King Kong was rated X when it came out. Um, so it's not just about the X rating, but it's about film with, um, you know, hardcore yeah. sex in it. So if... Um, you know, if any hardcore film was to be selected, you know, should we feel that it throat. should be Deep Throat because, you know, according, um, again, to their um, requirements, a film has to be 10 years old or older and exhibit um, uh, historic, um, cultural, or aesthetic significance. Now, you know, the, the aesthetics of Deep Throat could be argued, but its uh, cultural and historic impact are undeniable. So, you know, we we feel that it should be recognized. And so we encourage everybody to go and, and vote throat. And the artistic vision to have a doctor's office in just some basement, you know, I think uh, uh, <laughs> that was one of my other observations. Like, I think it's, she's at the doctor. And I think that it looks like they're in just like someone's hippie basement. Okay, I want to play with this. Yeah, it's, um, but that was great, man. Uh, I've never thought uh, voting was more important than now. Uh, so uh, again, votethroat.org. And uh, and I look forward to ho hopefully you'll do New York so I can watch porn with you and your sister. Uh, and, and we <laughs> well, and, and not just us in the communal setting. And the communal and, setting. And, you know, that's something that, that should mention, I should mention is that, you know, that was one of the most revolutionary things um, about Deep Throat when it came out in 1972 is... Celebrities went to go see in the fucking theater. Yes, yes. <laughs> and that when you went to see the film, again, you're going um, to see it in public in a theatrical setting where it's a communal experience. Like the joke is funny, everybody laughs, you know, like that. If, you know, somebody jumps out, everybody, you know, screams together. You know, it was like that. But now seeing an adult film where people were adult enough to do that together. Now, 50 years later, it's become as novel now as it is as it was then because you know most porn is consumed on a smartphone underneath the, the covers so it's rare that you would go out in public to see a film and so it really you know 
helps you to look at things in a different way when you're able to experience this with a group. And so that's something that we've been doing with Deep Throat, and we're working on uh, The Devil and Miss Jones and hope to do the same with that. And I will definitely be at that one again because that was that was wild. Uh, well, uh, Gerard, thank you again so much for chatting with us. And you know, why don't you go ahead and say goodbye to everybody? Uh, well, thank you for having me um, on your show. It's um, a honor to be here and uh i look forward to um to seeing you down the road and you know after um devil and miss jones we are putting together a full retrospective of all of our father's work so that you know we can share that you know again he'll always be known for deep throat but he did go on to make better films that i believe he would much rather be um you know would would much rather be remembered for so um thanks again for having me The best place to discuss this week's show is in the episode discussion channel in the Champagne Room, our super free, super fun, super sex positive Discord server. Of course, you can check that out in the links in the show notes. Uh, Keep that birthday sharing going, everybody. I, I was very appreciative of those of you who shared on June 5th, but you can still share a link to the Man Whore Podcast all month long. If you need like some sample text, you can say, yeah, it's like Sex in the City meets Howard Stern if he was a bit less of a prick, right? That's, yeah, he's like a, he's like a more sex positive Howard Stern if Howard Stern only had female friends. You can even lie to your friends and say, I'm not kinky. I'm not a giant slut, but I really think this podcast is interesting. And then you drop a link. And that helps me and it gets you some free stickers. So you keep doing that all all month long. Keep it coming, everybody. I very much appreciate y'all. But if you insist on like, I don't know, buying me something for my birthday because freely sharing the podcast is terrifying. My Amazon wish list is in the show notes of every episode. Someone was messaging me being like, I'm having trouble finding it. I'm like, it's in the show notes. They're all in there. Manwhorepod.com slash thank you. Oh, and I uh, also put in the show notes, uh, check out, I have a couple articles that are out on Mashable. Uh, I've got an article about edging. I wrote like 1,500 words on how to wank for hours. And uh, I've also got some sex toy reviews, some male sex toy reviews. Uh, uh, that's a piece I'm really proud of. So uh, I'll put links to those in the show notes. Uh, but with that, everybody, you know, happy pride. Uh, it's, it's usually pretty proud around here. If, if proud equals queer, it's usually pretty queer around this podcast every month, but, uh, hey, you know, enjoy the extra flags. Uh, uh, next week, we're talking all about gay bars. That's a fun one, everybody. Stay slutty, but, like, in a proud way. Okay, now here's a teaser of my bonus episode with Gerard Damiano Jr. that's coming out tomorrow exclusively on Patreon for my $5 and up fan horse. In this bonus episode, we are discussing some of the controversy around his father's film, Deep Throat, namely the controversy uh, around its star, Linda Lovelace. You can hear the full bonus episode as well as nearly 300 other bonus episodes for free when you sign up for a seven-day free trial at patreon.com slash podcast. And unfortunately, a lot of people today, um, you know, 
either heard something or did a Google search and read something or they know somebody that read something and made up their mind about the film without ever actually seeing it or without understanding the context of um, the comments that Linda made in 1980 after she had just released her third autobiography called uh, Ordeal, where she talks about being abused by her husband and so forth. And, you know, there's no doubt that she suffered greatly at the hands of, of Chuck Trainer, who was her, her manager and pimp, um, and also her husband um, at the time Deep Throat was made. Um, but, you know, again, without knowing her history and, you know, the, the events surrounding that, it's hard to, to really understand. 